So I want to start with um, just acknowledging the, the, the weirdness of this. And there are uh, just a couple of people here, and so sometimes when I look away from the camera, I, I'm just acknowledging that there are a couple of people in the room with us, and that helps me. Um, today we're going to be in a passage in Matthew 21. But before I read the passage, I want to share a couple of things that my week, that have, have made up my week, over the last few weeks. So I have a daughter, Jacqueline Kerr. Um, Sloan, she just got married, sorry Jacqueline, and she and her hubby, Alan, uh, live in Arkansas, and when this all kind of came to fruition, or kind of hit our radar, and my other children are at home, I began to want to send her something to care for her and to care for Alan, and so I made a care package for them. And the, the care package um, is indicative of the times. And hopefully she won't need the things in the care package, but the care package is very distinctive to uh, what's going on. So inside of one of them is um, like NyQuil and DayQuil and Tylenol, because I don't want them to have to leave the house if they get sick, but also flushable wipes. And uh, then when I found some, toilet paper. And so it was this very specific care package that hopefully they won't need. Well, this particular passage, I really feel like is a care package from the Lord. But it's, it's something that we need in all the times. And, and the ingredients in the care package um, give us the truth of him, help us find our bearings, get our bearings, keep our bearings, and finish well. And so uh, I'm hoping that as we read this passage together today, that these truths become something that you can grab a hold of and cling to as we go through this uh, time. Particularly this particular passage, the audience, they are about to go into Monday, Thursday, which is where Jesus is arrested, and then Good Friday when Jesus gives his life, and then a silent Saturday. So it's a time of lament um, that, they, that this group is about to go through. But you'll see that this passage isn't just for them, it is also for us. Um, so let's, let's turn and read Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, 
Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the first thing that I want us to see in this passage, just an overview, so um, it is that we have a King Jesus. He's making an, the entry of a king. And so, but as we go through the passage, we're going to start to see some truths about who this king is and hopefully um, get, give, us, uh, give us something to help keep our bearings, set our bearings, keep our bearings, and finish well. So the first, uh, the first part, if you'll look at verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. So, the, so Jesus is with his disciples, and they're headed into Jerusalem, and he gives instructions to two of the disciples, go and find a donkey. Um, uh, you'll find a donkey and its colt. Find them, untie them, bring them to me. What, what stands out to me here, it says the Lord needs them. We have a theology that God doesn't need anything. Right? But here we, we see it says the Lord needs them. So somehow, some way, the Lord is allowing himself to need something. But it, he's doing that for the benefit of these two that he's sending out to let them participate with him. And what they are about to do, this thing that they're about to do to participate with him is the fulfillment of a prophecy that's 500 years old. And so not only does he let them allow himself to need something to let them participate, but then he also makes a way for the thing that he's calling them into and sending them into to be accomplished. See where it says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and they will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying. So that moves us into, so the first part that I want us to see, that our King Jesus is making a space for us to participate with him. So that draws us into, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, this is the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah, um, this was written the, this particular prophecy that's being fulfilled was written 500 years before Jesus fulfilled it. So what we see is we have a King Jesus that not just draws us in, but he has an eternal, sovereign perspective. And he's connecting all the dots. There's no details that are not left behind. Um, if you put up the Zechariah 9, 9 uh, scripture... Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? So we have a God who draws us in, who has this eternal perspective with all the details. Um, this made me think of a story of my son Jonathan that I hope you connect with. My son Jonathan was born with a birth defect where his um, chest bone was indented. And as he grew, it grew more in. And at about the age of 14, it had grown in so much he, he had um, 
about this much space between the front and the back and it had displaced his heart and his lungs. And so he was gonna have to have this major surgery. And we did a ton of research on what doctor to find. Um, and we found one, one of the best doctors in the world was at OU Children's. And we met with him and he shared with us what he would do from start to end, the length of the surgery, how long he would be in the hospital, uh, what would happen post-surgery. And so um, we trusted this doctor with every detail from start to end. There was, we really had to have a hands-off uh, hands and just believe in him and just believe that he was, you know, it's not that just he was good at the opening him up part, but he was also good at the fixing part. And he was also good at the, there was a bar. So, so they had to open him up, break his sternum, fix it, put a bar behind it uh, to, to make it keep. Then he was in the hospital for 10 days for pain management. And then, um, I, I forget how long it was later, maybe six months or so, they, had to, they went in and they took the bar out. And this whole procedure, uh, we needed the doctor to have all of the details. Our sweet King Jesus has all of the details. There's not one part of this that is a surprise to him. There's not one part of this that um, he's wondering what he is gonna do. He is our King which there's an implication here. Him, him is our king. There is a kingdom. And we, and we get to be participants in that kingdom. But part of being participants in that kingdom is a need to trust him uh, as the one who's sovereign and has this eternal perspective with all the details lined in. So uh, moving to more in this uh, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion... Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The, uh, so, sometimes you read the humility part where Jesus is humble. Well, he came in on a, on a donkey. But actually, as I began to research, it, it seems like it was a normal thing for a king in times of peace to make his entry in, in this fashion. So Jesus was really wanting them to know, I am the king. But there was something in his countenance, something in his posture, something of who he was, that he was not, uh, he was not self-serving. He was not making this entryway as a king for his own benefit. He was making this entryway as a king for these group of people who were about to go into a time of lament to give them something to hold on to as their king. So behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. So then we're going to move, um, move into this Hosanna piece. Look at verse, let's start at verse, you know what, let's start at verse 6. This is just a really sweet passage. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. And put on them their cloaks. 
and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that following him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This word Hosanna, it's like a declaration of salvation. They're saying, he saves and then, and then it connects it with, to the son of David. This is, this is declaring he's the king who is the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah who saves. And this is something that they can hold on to in the, just a few short days when, it, when there's this thick time of lament. But this is also something that they can hold on to in the resurrection. And this is something for all the times. Hosanna to the son of David. And then uh, we see in the Zechariah passage of the salvation where um, in the Zechariah 9.9, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. So, so because of the righteousness of Jesus, and he carries, um, because, because he is our righteousness, we get to be both recipients and givers of his salvation. And his salvation is in death. Yes, it is in death, but it's also uh, this word salvation is about deliverance and healing and help in the now. And it feels vulnerable to go after the salvation with disappointment and with hard things going on. But he calls us into that. He said, you are my, you are my people. You are in my kingdom. I am the king who has every detail and I carry salvation. And we are to go after that salvation. And I don't know what that looks like uh, for you for you guys personally I'm going to share a couple of things that the Lord has um, drawn my heart to do in this so um, I am on Twitter but mostly because my daughter's on Twitter and I um, and, and so I just creep on her a lot right <laughs> in the Twitter world um, but there is um, some people in her world who, who live further east or west and are experiencing this, uh, the, the COVID-19 more intimately. Um, and so there's a girl named Hannah who it came up, the dad had posted, my daughter Hannah is in the hospital, she's on a ventilator, um, will you pray for her? I don't know Hannah. But I did feel the Lord say, I want you to declare my salvation over her. Not just, I mean, his help and his healing and his deliverance in this time. And so I, I did. I just, I just began to declare healing and help and beg the Lord for her life. She was on a ventilator. Um, I don't know. I think she's still on a ventilator. But so as these things have come, have come to my um, knowledge, I begin to declare the Lord's salvation. Because I'm not just a recipient of the salvation. The, because of the righteousness of Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. And so I also get to be a participant with this salvation. And he's saying, go after my salvation. So this is going to sound crazy. I also, I felt like he told me to go to my back deck, which is, which is spiritually a, a special place for me, the Lord, to connect and, and just begin to pray that this virus goes away. 
and declare the salvation of Jesus, his healing and his dissipation of it. And it feels vulnerable to do that because disappointment, but we're in the now and the not yet, meaning, you know, his kingdom's coming and yet we're, it's not fulfilled and so it feels vulnerable, but he's like, do it. We are his people. He is our king and he's bringing his kingdom. And so I went on my back deck and rebuked the virus and, and it's still here and, and I'm going to keep doing it. And I want you to join me. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, how am I to bring a, be a bringer of your salvation in this? And I've been praying for our nurses and doctors that are on the front line, bringing God's salvation through this all the time, bringing his help, bringing his healing, bringing his mercy, bringing his goodness, bringing life. I, I'm praying for them whenever I think of it. Um, praying for the nurses and the doctors, and if you know them personally, call them by name. God, be their strength. Let them feel and see your salvation in their lives. Um, because this, this, is, this is a truth um, that the Lord wants us to hold on to him as king and be a part of his kingdom and being drawn into it and, and be recipients and givers of his salvation in the in the 80s when everything is great, but also in March 2020 and in May 2020. And, I'll, and I'm going to be honest with you. It is easier for me to see my need for our Jesus and cling to him as king in this time. And I've, and I've got to really repent of that, that my heart would lean into Jesus even when, when, we're, when I'm comfortable, when I got toilet paper and no furloughs in the, that are coming up or, or unemployment or like when, when I'm in my fullest of comfort to see that our Jesus is the King of Kings who's calling us and, and this humble part, he's not self-serving. All of this is for us and to have the story of rescue for us. Um, so he is bringing his rescue. So I'm gonna, I, I want to share this story. Actually, before I share this story, I want to bring us into a time of interacting with the Lord. So I'm the children's pastor here. And one of the ways that I engage, I teach the children to bring the Lord's presence and engage his presence into scripture or all sorts of spiritual disciplines is the structure is called I-S-L-A, Isla. I is invite, S is show me, the L is listen, and the A is to take action, I-S-L-A. So I'm going to lead you just like I would lead a kiddo. I hope that you'll put your pride down and just engage. And if you've got kiddos in the room, this is something that they can do. This structure helps me even. So if you just close your eyes and say, Dear God, would you be with me? Dear God, would you show me how you want me to receive and give your salvation today? Now just listen. When I say listen, just give, just give a time and a space for the Holy Spirit to influence your thoughts and your heart.
Now take action with what he's given you. And so for me right now, just um, I'm going to pray for that Hannah girl. And I, I just declare over you, Hannah, healing in the name of Jesus. So I hope that you guys will do that every day, that you'll engage God's presence in this way. I want to share, I want to close with a story. So a lot of you guys might not know, um, I, I was an elite swimmer as a kiddo. Um, that's actually kind of funny. So my, but I peaked at about age six. So I'm going to share with you this story of uh, this rise to glory <laughs> at the age of six and hopefully help you connect some dots and remember the, uh, this truth of clinging to our Jesus as king. So um, at, the, uh, at the age of six, you're in this category called U6. And um, all my older siblings, I'm one of nine, I'm number seven. My older siblings were great swimmers. I was not. So elite swimmer. Anyway, for, for a moment I was. So... I was a breaststroke swimmer, and I liked a breaststroke because it was the easiest. It's the most, it's the least strenuous. It's, you know, it was something that I could do and participate in. And so I was a breaststroker, and at about midway through the season, the coach turns in your very best time for your seating um, of heats in the regional meet. Okay? So... About midway through the season, the coach gathered my very best time. So when I got to the regional meet, there were seven heats of six. So there were 42 six-year-olds in breaststroke. It's 25 meters. It's just you dive in one way, right? Just boom, wall to wall. I was seated number 38. So not only was I in the last heat, I wasn't even in the middle lane. The middle lane is like, you know, you're really good if you're in the middle lane. So uh, after my coach sent in this time, mid-season, one of my older sisters decided that she was going to help me, um, help me learn some key components to this particular race. And so she taught me the most important Thing. And the most important thing was the underwater pool. So if anybody in here or out there is a, is a swimmer and you swim breaststroke, you know the underwater pool, it's P-U-L-L, -L, is the key. It's everything. You can't do the race without it. So the underwater pool, what happens is you dive in and then underwater you get one and a half breaststrokes before you can come up out of the water and begin doing the breaststroke. The thing is, you swim a lot faster underwater doing this. And if you, uh, the really good ones have it down to a science. They know exactly and how far that they're going to get and then how many strokes. I was six. So, you know, I didn't know, understand all of that. But my sister Marion taught me this. And so after I turned in my time that seated me 38 out of 42, um, I learned this skill. 
this thing that was the everything. So I get to the meet, and it's indoor. It's at this fancy place, and I'm from this small little town in West Virginia. We didn't have a fancy pool or anything. This is one of those indoor fancy pools, and all the other kids who are these year-long swimmers, they've got the... They've got the caps on and the goggles and the Speedo suits that are like, you know, super slick. I'm positive I was wearing a hand-me-down Speedo that was at least 10 years old. I might have borrowed a cap. I honestly don't remember having a cap. And I had goggles that were too big, and I know this because they came off when I dove into the water. And I did the whole race with them right here. So last heat, ranked 38. They do, they bang. I dive in do the underwater pull, come up, touch the end, and I look back and the whole heat is not even halfway through the pool yet. And I was point, uh, like 0.01 seconds from breaking the record for that whole facility. And the place went nuts. It was so much fun. And then I got to go to state, and when I went to state, I, got, I, was in the, I was in the first heat, and I was in the middle lane, and I'd even beat this little, there's this little family, I'm not going to say their names, but they all were like little gonna-be Olympian swimmers, and they had a little six-year-old, and I beat her. And it was like, it was glorious. But this underwater pool was everything. And in this... Jesus, as king, is everything. He will help us get our bearings. He will help us keep our bearings. And he will help us finish well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do ask that you, Jesus, who draws us in to participate, is so kind, has this eternal perspective, Calls us into salvation. To be recipients and givers of your salvation. And that you're a king that is not self-serving. Bring this to our minds and let us cling to you. Let us stay with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.